Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for that offering. And by that, I mean our offering of praise and worship. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. Good morning, everyone. We are back again, and we are in a series that we began just last week. It's called Amazed and Afraid. And we're looking at 13 extraordinary stories out of the Gospel of Mark, which I've mentioned to a few friends this week is like the action movie of the Gospels. It's really great. We're looking at several themes through this gospel that the Lord is leading us to. One of them will be Jesus' command over the super and the natural world, the high cost of discipleship, Jesus as our suffering Messiah. All this, of course, leading us directly to Resurrection Sunday, which is now just 12 weeks away if you're starting to count off. You have a reading guide that perhaps you picked up at the front door. We have one of those for you. It also includes a read-through mark in between the lines. So the stories that we cover on Sunday, it'll guide you through the rest of the readings that you can do through the week. Um, and of course, this is a, a bring-your-own-Bible-to-church kind of series, too, because you want to be able to dig into the stories and make notes and highlights yourself and the way the Lord is instructing you through His Word. This morning, friends, we will be reviewing... Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And this is an amazing story, it really is, of Jesus healing a man who was paralyzed from birth. And he does so because of the faith of his friends. Now, I also have a little treat for you that I'm going to tuck in here a little bit later. And then we have some work to do today. We have some work to do today. Now, you're like, wait a minute, it's Sunday. I thought we don't do work on Sunday. This story, actually, Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, is the one of, first of five controversies Jesus will have with the Pharisees and the scribes, wondering why does he do the things that he does. And interestingly, the fifth one is how does he possibly heal on the Sabbath? Isn't that the Lord's day? But we have some work to do in prayer this morning, but I want to lead us into the word first to see what faith can do. So let me pray as we open up God's word. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the gift of this day. We thank you, Lord, for the blanket of snow that you've, uh, in your ordination, have set across us. And Father, we thank you for opening the skies and just having the sunlight beam through in that beautiful moment where we can just see the sun glistening off that crisp white. Father, I pray that our eyes would be opened today to the gift of your word as well, which shines just as brightly. Lord, would you let these stories speak to us with the same sense of awe and wonder and amazement and lingering that they did to the people who read them first ago. So we thank you. We welcome you, Holy Spirit, to amplify your word in our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So our story begins, Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. This is Jesus and the disciples now returning to Capernaum, which seems to be his ministry headquarters. In fact, the word even says it's his home. Uh, And reputation of Jesus' teaching power and authority has spread. And so In just a couple of days of him being home from this missionary journey around Galilee, excitement has begun. And you can see that crowds have begun to gather. It says in some days it was reported that he was at home. So many gathered there, and there was no longer room for anyone, not even at the front door. This is because they have heard of the things that Jesus was teaching, powerful things about God moving in significant ways. But also the fact that he was backing up such profound teaching with amazing works of healing and release and casting off of spirits. So in just a couple of days of being home, excitement was building 
and the crowds are beginning to gather around his home. And I find a certain kind of biblical irony in the fact that there was no room for them in the home. And this kind of reminds me back to the Christmas story as well. But it was just, picture this, it's just packed, and people can't even get into the small house anymore. But they're just straining to hear anything that Jesus might be saying or catch a glimpse of something that he might do. Now, the story also tells us that he's preaching. He's teaching the word to them. And that's the part that gets me excited, just to hear Jesus speaking and preaching the word. What might he have been talking about? We have some themes that we know that are often his, his uh, preaching during that time. One, he was opening up what we now know as the Old Testament and showing them how all of that pointed towards a hope that had now come, the kingdom of heaven had drawn near. And he was in dem demonstrating that how in that kingdom of heaven, God was now on the move in fresh ways. This after 400 years of what seemed like silence. Have you forgotten us, O Lord? No. God is near. And he was calling everyone in that nearness of God to repent. In other words, turn from the direction they were going and turn a new way and believe in this good news, this gospel, this gospel of God's mercy and his grace and then teaching him even how to begin to live in this new kingdom as freed people. At the same time, a small group of people came. It says some people came, bringing to him a paralyzed man being carried by four friends. So here's a small group, and they're bringing a friend of theirs on a mat. And this is a man who had been paralyzed, unable to move some parts of his body, at least since birth, enough that he had to be carried by four of them on kind of a stretcher. Now, seeing that they could not get through the crowd, one of them had thought of a plan. And it says, when they could not bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they went up and they removed the roof above him. And having dug through it, they let him down on the mat that he lay. I always have to dig into these stories a little deeper because you just it's so easy to just read these things quickly and kind of move on with, with your devotional. But you imagine this, this packed house crowd, and there's a small group of friends that are like, we have a friend who's been paralyzed from, from birth, but we sure love him. And we heard Jesus is doing amazing things. What do you think? Let's bring him over. And so they carry him over on his mat. And of course, they get there and, and, the, and the place is packed. There's no room. They can't get in. The, door, the doorway's even jammed. How do you get in by yourself? How possibly do you get in with carrying a, a person on a mat? How frustrating is that? Then one of them has a plan. Hey, I got a wild idea, guys. Listen, I have a wild idea. I, I know there's, there's a, a ladder up the back. Every house at the age typically had one. Here's what we're going to do. So they go around the back of the house, and they proceed to start climbing up the back of the roof on top with their paralyzed friend, by the way. Now, I have a little bit of special insight into this story because my, my brother, before he passed away last year, my brother Noe was a paralytic, not from birth, but a little over 25 years ago before that. He was in a motorcycle accident that left him unable to move most of his body from his neck down, although he could kind of flail his arms a little bit uh, loosely in his head. You know, he could kind of move his neck some, but the rest of his body was limp. So it's hard for me not to enter into the story a little bit with that sensitivity of just what it was like to be paralyzed. Noe was a good man, a faithful man, and he endured well because of his strength in Christ. But one thing that I do know about paralyzed people is it's dead weight. They are 100% fully passive in the ways that they cannot move. There's no muscular strength in there whatsoever. 
So they are limp. They are absolutely dead weight. And a fall of any kind could potentially be fatal because they don't have the ability to brace themselves like the rest of us might do or even twist because it's just loose weight. Let's, let's maybe assume we, maybe the man was even paralyzed uh, in that day from the waist down. I mean, still, it's just counterweight. It's counterbalance. I remember one, one time my, my brother did reaching for a glass of water, fell out of his bed, uh, and his wife was in the shower. He said it was the most helpless he'd ever felt. He went down just face down and, and hit his nose pretty hard because just no way to brace himself. That's just falling out of bed. What about going up a ladder? He's 100% passive, dead weight. Paralyzed people also are struck with a sense of uselessness. They're struck with a sense of uselessness because there's a lot of their body that they cannot use. We take that for granted as people who can, who can walk and feel and touch. I remember going out to lunch with him sometimes. And, you know, we're just having lunch. Two brothers, just like you would. He's my older brother, so I always appreciated his wisdom and his great stories. But there was that moment when the food would get served and he would say, can you help me with my fork, you know? And so he had a special strap that he had rigged for his arm. And I would take his special copper uh, fork because it was, you know, it would shine differently than the others and have to tuck it in neatly. And he would use that to eat. And sometimes it would get a little messy and you'd have to help him a bit. He was always really sweet about it, but there is a sense of uselessness with people who are paralyzed. People who are paralyzed require assistance from others in order to function. And by that, I know that in the wrestle that he had and in the, in the times when he was really down, he would say, I know I'm a burden to everyone, even though we just loved having him around so much. He was my older brother, and I miss him. I think about that when I think of these friends carrying their, their buddy over, like, Sorry, guys. I can't help you. No, that's okay. We, we love you. I, look, I'm, I know I'm useless. No, we, we love you, you know. I'm sorry. I can't, I can't help you. It's okay. We, we love you. And that, that, to me, when I look at this story, even before, where, before we move on, love carries. Love carries. It says, okay, it's all right. You can't move a little bit. That's all right. We love you. We're going to carry you. It's okay. And faith lifts up. And that's exactly what these friends are doing. We are going to get you in front of that Jesus. Because I hear he's doing amazing things, amazing things. And this just might be it. And so I know it's discouraging as they look at the house and they think it's packed and we're never going to be able to get in there, but love carries and faith lifts up. I tell you what, we're going up on the roof. We're going to figure out a way to get you in front of that Jesus. Because he's our only hope. What happens next is amazing. And it's amazing in the word, but there's a, a version of this storytelling that I want to offer you this morning that's just a real treat. I don't know if any of you have discovered this web series. It's a web television series called The Chosen. It's just finished season one. They're preparing for season two. You can find it on YouTube. I was turned on to it by my father-in-law, and once we got it, we started watching it as a family. We just got hooked. We were watching one a week. There's eight episodes in season one. We were watching one a week and not a pin drop of sound when our family would sit and watch The Chosen. So it's a, it's a, a telling of the biblical story uh, using the gospel and, uh, uh, and um, dramatic kind of storytelling, but keeps faithful to the text. And so my treat for you this morning is instead of this reading, we're going we're gonna to read this, but we're going to read it on video as we enjoy this scene from The Chosen um, that illustrates this very, very well. Jesus of Nazareth! 
I saw what you did to the leopard on the road this morning. My friend has been paralyzed since childhood. He has no hope but you. Please, do for him what you did for the leopard. That's a roof! Put it back, man! If you are willing, Rabbi, I know you can do this. your tablet at least. Did you teach? Answer me. If you are willing, Rabbi, you know you can. Hey, I'm talking to you. By whom do you teach? Certainly not the authority of any rabbi from Nazareth. Where did you study? Your faith is beautiful. Son, take heart. Your sins are forgiven. Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Right. But I ask you, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or rise up and walk? It's easy to say anything, no? But to show you, and so that you may know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. I say to you, my son, rise. Pick up your bed. And go home.
Easy does it. In that space between faith and skepticism, Jesus can work miracles. In that space between faith and fear of what if or why or how Christ works miracles. Let's unpack what just happened there that led to that extraordinary exchange. See, Jesus saw the faith of the friends and was moved to pronounce the man forgiven. Now, that, that wasn't what they were asking for. They were, they were hoping their friend could walk. But what if that wasn't his greatest need? You know, I mentioned to you about paralyzed people is they're, they're passive. They're, they're mostly dead weight. But here's the thing, friends. No one, regardless of physical condition or affliction, is spiritually passive. We all must give account, and we all know it. We all seek for some meaning, and we all know in the depths of our heart, whether we run with great health or we're afflicted, we all know that we fall short of the glory of God. I was just having that conversation this week with a new friend, a man who had just lost a significant person to him, a good friend, tragically. And while he was so grieving and wondering what to do, he recognized that his greatest need was in his heart. He needed to know God. He needed to know the forgiveness of Christ. So Jesus met the man's most significant need, and by the faith of the friends, he saw this must be a good man and pronounced him forgiven. Now, wait a minute. What, what, what about the paralyzed guy? He didn't, didn't have a say in that, did he? Yes, he did, in his heart. He had to accept it. In the same way that later, in a moment, he would have to stand up and trust that he could walk again, he had to be, receive that in his heart. You are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. You're good with God now. Then there's this conversation with the scribes. First of all, you have to remember the role of scribes. They copy. They take the word and they copy. So they know it well, but they copy it. And by that action, they may, may not always expect that God is moving in new or significant ways. Blasphemy, they say. How can you say that? That's a serious charge, by the way. One that will linger over Jesus' ministry 
for the next several years, ultimately leading to his death. Who can forgive sin, they say, but God alone? And if you think the word doesn't have a sense of irony or sometimes even a little bit of wink, there it is right there because the answer is the question. Who can forgive sin but God alone? Only God can forgive sin. So their question is right. Yeah, only God can forgive sin. And that's what Jesus responds. He said, just so you know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sin. In other words, as we talked about last week, Jesus has the authority. He's the author of life. And he has the authority to rewrite this person's eternal story. He has the right to rewrite any of our eternal story. Just as he has the right to rewrite our life story as well. So he says, get up, get up and walk. The Son of Man. This is the first time he said this in the Gospel of Mark, not the last time. It'll come up again in our readings. Very quickly, it kind of means the human or the common man or maybe even the guy. But Jesus was using it again with a special sense of insight, thinking back to the prophet Daniel who foretold of the Son of Man, the human, the guy. One who would come to the Father on a cloud. One who would have the power to judge. He would be given authority to declare guilt or freedom. One, Daniel foresaw, whose reign would be over all the nations and never end. It's eternal. That Son of Man is Jesus because only God himself can forgive sin. So, Jesus Christ, by his work on the cross, taking all sin onto himself and dying a sinner's death, though he was sinless himself, extends to all humanity the gift of forgiveness. And by the sign of the empty tomb, his death could not hold him. Jesus walks in new life. That's the door for all of us to experience the gift of new life. In those two actions... And in his teaching, Jesus shows us he alone is Savior, Lord, and God. Because only God can forgive sin. He alone can say, my son, your sins are forgiven. Now, stand up, take up your mat, and go home. And just as you saw illustrated in that text so beautifully, as you can expect, they were all amazed. And as I mentioned to you, there's different textures of amazement in the scripture. This particular one is amazed, mystified, sometimes not even clear, almost dizzyingly amazed. But they knew enough to look up to God and give thanks and praise to him. They knew enough to praise God and say, thank you, Lord, because you're moving in new ways. So why do we have this story when Jesus explained it himself? See, Jesus does the miracle that we can see. In this case, the raising of the man who was paralyzed. So that we can know that he's doing the greater miracle that we can't see, making us all right before God. Jesus does the miracles that we can see 
so that we know he's doing the greater miracle that we can't always see, but we trust in faith that he has made us right before God. And we dwell with him in eternity, and we dwell with him now. Now, this story is amazing in lots of ways, but it's an amazing example of the power of faith shown to us through prayer. This story is an amazing example of the power of faith shown to us in prayer. They had to figure out a way to gather together to lift this person up on the roof in order to lower him down before the Lord. And what a beautiful picture of the power of faith in what we know as intercessory prayer which is such a key value for us here as a church. We value that. That's why almost weekly we have this time of prayer of the people because we mean it. There's something amazing that can happen when God's people gather together in prayer for the needs of those that he places on our hearts. And Jesus will do the miracles that we can see so that we can trust that he's doing the greater miracle that we cannot see, making us right before God. Last week, we talked about unclean spirits, and it's one that's gotten some, some buzz, some feedback. A few of you said it was very touching, and that was inward. I was preparing us on that, and so was the Lord. Because the prayer of righteous people, those who have confessed their sin, received grace, and trust in him daily, and live in their walk, the prayer of those who are living the right story is powerful and effective, says James. And that is us. But this morning, I'm called for us not to pray just inwardly for our own sense of purity and walk, but outwardly for those people that God has placed upon our hearts. So what is it to show the power of faith demonstrated through prayer? Well, as I said, we got some work to do this morning. We're going to do it in just a moment. But here's kind of the basic rules of how faith is demonstrated through prayer. Number one. It's two or, th two or more gathered together. There is a value and essentiality, I would say, to corporate prayer. You heard that in the video as they were lowering the man down and there was the faith of the friends, but the crowd around him was chanting, heal him, heal him. They wanted to see it. They wanted to see it. Everyone joined in that corporate prayer, presenting that man before God, saying, Lord, will you move? Will you heal him? Still happens today. I was part of a church before, and it was one Sunday. You know, of course, it wasn't a COVID season, so a few more people in the seats. But I noticed one thing. There was a number of, of women sitting by themselves, um, and I noticed it because I knew them all, and I knew they were married. And I didn't think they knew each other well, but I just kind of observed that one day. The Lord kind of showed me that. We had a lot of women sitting here by themselves without their husbands. And so we invited them to a lunch, and they began to talk about it, the fact that they were trying to walk in faith, but... Their husbands were not. So they began to meet regularly for encouragement on that, and so that on Sundays they wouldn't feel alone. They could sit together and have some community, and they began to pray. It was amazing. One by one, the husbands started showing up on Sunday, sometimes for the Easter, never had seen them on the doorstep before, then regularly. Today, one of them is an elder at the church. God moved in amazing ways through that group. There's something important when God's people gather together in corporate prayer. The power of faith is demonstrated when we give things over to God and we take these problems or this person and we place it before God and we say, this is yours, Lord. This is yours. 
They had a friend who was paralyzed since childhood, and they knew they had no hope but you, Jesus. And the woman even said that in the video. This is, you're our only hope. So when we place things before God corporately, we say, Lord, this is yours. This is your problem. You're our only hope. Lord, this is your son. Lord, this is your daughter. Lord, this is your relationship. This is your marriage. Lord, this is my, my job. Lord, this is my womb. Lord, this is my body. Lord, this is my fear. This is your fear. Lord, this is your life path. Lord, this is your family. Help us. Help us. We give to the Lord what is his. Then we offer these things in gratitude. We give thanks to him as we pray in great passion and need for those around us because we can pray in gratitude because we can enter his presence with boldness. We can give thanks because he alone is able. We can give thanks because he is good and can be trusted. We can give thanks because he has authority on heaven and on earth to write a new story. We can pray in gratitude knowing that our spiritual needs are met even as our spiritual needs may come along in Christ alone. So my friends, I said this morning, we have work to do. I recognize that probably all of us maybe have someone in our lives that we see as stuck, maybe paralyzed in their own way, maybe spiritually. Maybe there's a life situation that they're just stuck in. We need to pray and lift them up and ask God to move. Now, as I was preparing for that this morning, I was saying to the staff, I have a, I'm afraid of offering this time of prayer. And I'll tell you why. Because what if it doesn't happen? That's always the question, isn't it? Like, well, if we pray for these things, then what happens if it doesn't? And why wouldn't we? And how could it? And how, does it, how do we know that? But I'm always convinced of this, that, I, that pushing through those fears of what if not leads us to a place of faith where God moves in amazing ways. Remember, Jesus works in that space between faith and fear. Jesus moves in that space between faith and even skepticism. So who is your friend? Who is the one that you want to place before the Lord? Let's pray right now. And I want you just to, to take your hands and if you want to say a name out loud or first name or even an initial and just say, Lord, this is my need. This is your Child, this is your son, your daughter, your situation. Lord, we need you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence here with us today. The air that we breathe, the word that we hear preached, the same. As it's been radiated out for, for many, many centuries in the kingdom of God. But we thank you, Lord, for the love that you've given us for these friends, these family members, these situations. And we come to you, Lord, with gratitude and with hope that you have authority to change stories. Now, if there's somebody that you have you want to present before the Lord, we want to join you in that prayer this morning, whether it's online or here in person. Just go ahead and say that name out loud or even an initial. Lord, here is.
Lord, these are your sons. These are your daughters. We present them before you out of love and hope in you alone that you have the authority to rewrite stories. Would you whisper into their hearts, Lord, and awaken that which is that seems dead within them. Call them unto yourself in a way that glorifies you. It may be this week. It may be soon. It may require patience. But Lord, we know that you move. Son of man. With authority on heaven and in earth. Do your work. We ask in Jesus' name. And before we close, is there anyone here this morning who just feels stuck? Who just feels limp? Is there anyone here this morning that just needs friends to carry them before the Lord this morning? We'd love to do that for you. This is a house of prayer. And new testimonies are being written daily. We are always here to pray for you in person, after service, online, always a phone call away. Because we love you and love carries and faith lifts up. Now my friends, in anticipation of Miracles to come, we worship, glorifying the Lord with hymn number 322, you servants of God, your master proclaim.